Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Epic Field Report. Hey, Justin, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. What market are you in, Justin? Uh, We're in the Texas market. So we're based out of Houston, uh, but we work all over Texas and uh, in Alabama. Super. All right. So you got got kind of a big territory. I noticed um, in our follow-through Friday inside of the Epic private, uh, private Facebook group that we've got, um, last Friday, you got a uh, lease to purchase sale, $8,000 in Florida, lease to purchase sale, 8100 in El Paso. You purchased a home last Sunday, now having a highest bidder sale this weekend, uh, crossing the fingers in, in Texas, and then learning to raise more private money, looking forward to reading more wins. Um, super. So thanks for sharing. And I'm just curious, let's pick out one of these deals. Which one was your favorite of that week? Oh, probably the, the highest bidder sale. Uh, the highest bidder sale. Okay. Uh, let's talk about that. How did you find that deal? Uh, we're, we're part of a mastermind group and it was a lady on uh, a fortunate circumstance. Um, her husband, her husband had passed away uh, in November. So he had three, three assets that he needed to uh, divest. They needed to get rid of, get rid of his estate. And so this one needed quite a bit of work, needed about 67 K in rehab. Um, she owed about 48 on it. We got it for, for 60 and then just tried a highest bidder sale. Um, one of my partners, both of my partners, they were, um, they've done some highest bidder sales in the past. And so we took a chance on this one since our contractor was going to be about two to three weeks out. Mm-hmm. So time was money, couldn't wait. And yeah, we had a two day highest bidder sale from two to four on Saturday, two to five on Sunday. Everybody wrote their bid down on Sunday and called everybody back and gave everybody another opportunity. And I think by seven thirty that night, we had, uh, it sold it for 102000 Sweet. Congrats. So yeah. you found the deal was basically a referral? Correct. Okay, yeah. so you found the referral, and then your planned exit strategy was to flip it and use this higher bidder strategy. Can you explain to me a little bit how that process works for you guys? Uh, yeah, so in that sense, it was, you know, obviously, we got it under contract, bought the property, closed on it, and then we, you know, did a ton of marketing, um, hit our market, flyers we had a bunch of people passing some things out in that end a lot of social media and we're hoping hey let's uh let's give it a whirl we haven't done this one for my partners haven't done this one for probably five or six years they haven't done a highest bidder sale and and basically it's not really it's live but it's not because you've given everybody an opportunity to once the bidding closes at five there were 16 people that bidded and now we were able to just call them all back and say hey the bid's at 85 now would you like to increase your bid? Yep, to 90, and then just kind of continued from there. Got it, got it. So are you doing this virtually, or are you doing this like on the front lawn of the property? 
Yeah, we were doing this right in the front lawn and then in the front okay. this particular one. Correct. So you had all 16 people standing on the lawn? No, we just oh. called them back. There was actually three people that bidded. They were stick. They stuck around. Um, so they kind of watched the process a bit. It was their first time. Um, but then they ended up backing out around that 85 mark. So we had four other people on the line, basically. And within a half an hour, we, we had it... Uh, we had it sold, the individual brought it up to 102 and everybody, the, the second person I was bidding with was about 101. And so they, they sanded at that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you purchased it for what? Was it 86 you said? 60. 60. And you sold it for 101? 102. 102. This was a good day, yeah? That was a great day. <laughs> That's fantastic. So uh, your biggest lesson learned in this transaction would be? You know what? It was nerve wracking because you're, we're holding on to the property. We put some money into it, you know, cleaned it out, um, got rid of the carpets, had a nice, you know, smell, basically doing an open house just on wholesaling side of it. But biggest lesson learned, probably let's find another deal and uh, see how quick they can actually go. Right. They were. Mm -hmm. so, you know. That's awesome. That's awesome. How do you plan on celebrating? Uh, <laughs> my one partner, they got a, they got a couple little kids. So we're actually going to go to a water park here before we fly back to Canada. So <laughs> that's fantastic. I noticed that you sounded like my friends in Fargo. I was like, how did you end up in Texas? <laughs> uh, my wife, my wife had a good job opportunity. She's an engineer. And so we love traveling around and, uh, yeah, she took the job opportunity here in Houston and awesome. I got out of the rat race and jumped into this real estate gig full time. Perfect. Well, congratulations on your success. Thanks for sharing with us. And if you need anything, let us know. All right. Excellent. Perfect, Matt. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to working with you here. Perfect. Have a good day. You too. Bye. This is Terrio Media. Yo. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. Hey, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Glad you made it. Got a really good show for you today. Something new, something different. Just made the executive decision. I'm going to call it the Monday Mastermind Session here on the show. I'm joined by three of my uh, colleagues. I just kind of went through my whole database. I said, let's, let's bring up some real active real estate investors that are really doing deals, doing business, and let's just get on the, on the podcast and, and jam, I guess is the most appropriate word. So welcome. I've got Mr. Joseph Taylor. Mr. Justin Colby and Ms. Christy Sirwell. Welcome to the show, guys and gals. Yo, thanks for having us. Yeah, you bet. So I guess you want to go around and you can introduce yourself a little bit, what market you work in, and then a little bit about your current real estate business. Joe, you can go ahead and start if you'd like. Uh, Joseph Taylor out of Portland, Oregon metro area. We uh, do some wholesaling, we do some fix and flip, and we do some custom new build houses. Nice. Christy. I'm Christy Sertwell. I live in Los Angeles um, and currently fixing and flipping, and I keep some as rentals as well. Fantastic. Justin? Yeah, Justin Colby. I'm out of Phoenix. Um, I'm currently wholesaling, wholetailing, and rehabbing as we speak. Fantastic. As we speak. Yeah. You're doing it right now? Well, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm physically not doing it. Haven't haven't really done that in a long time. That's awesome. We'll talk about that in a sec. So I think uh, one thing that's on top of everybody's mind right now is the market is a get, it's a little bit more competitive. Um, some of the marketing channels aren't working as the way they used to, and we're doing and trying different things. So I don't know, could, could you kind of share with me what's your best source of off-market deals at the moment? Christy? I work 100% off referral. 
And this has really changed from a few years ago. I used to work mostly off the MLS and through wholesalers. I used to get 90% of my stuff that way up until about 2013, 14. And then I realized that wasn't the way to find properties anymore. So I, I've always been a good networker, but I really just ramped that up. And for the last three years, at least, I've gotten, I think, almost every single deal uh, just from word of mouth, from networking. Networking. Is there is there a specific category of person um, or a profession that's sending you the referrals? No, not one in particular. I, I would say I still get about a third of my deals from realtors, but mm. those deals never actually make it to the MLS. So it's, it's situations where um, it could be um, somebody who just doesn't want a real estate sign in their yard and they don't want 50 real estate investors traipsing through their, their house. They just want a fair price and I come in and I'm able to just work something directly with the seller or with the, the real estate agent. So um, yeah, other professions that refer me are um, different attorneys. I, I've made a good connection with a business attorney who just is well connected. Um, and I used to be in a networking group called BNI. Um, I'm now in a group called Provisors, but it doesn't matter which one you join. It's just getting yourself out there and and having people know what you do. Right. Got it. Good. Thanks for sharing. Justin, what's your best source of deals right now off market? Yeah, so I've become kind of a, a marketing expert. That's really where I'm going. I go six marketing strategies. I've always used direct mail as long as I can ever remember. Um, but I have incorporated bandit signs over the last year. I'm in Phoenix. And so everyone in the world would have argued bandit signs no longer work. I'm here to right. tell you they still do as long as you use the right strategy. Um, I'm really heavily invested in PPC right now. Um, I've gone through four different companies. I've spent well over $100,000 to get zero deals. I finally have found a company in the first five weeks, we popped three deals with this company I'm working with. So I'm like all in right now on PPC. Mm -hmm. um, I have a cold calling floor. I have 12 guys in my office every day, cold calling from 9 a.m. to uh, 1 p.m. And then we have a door knocking street team. So I really try to surround people on every angle. Um, and then we drop our VMs, which our friend Sean developed, which is ringless voicemails. Mm -hmm. So I'm going from door knocking to cold calling to direct mail to ringless voicemail to PPC. So I'm surrounding everybody because in our Maricopa County, there's really only 300,000 homes I have that I would want to buy. So I attack them on every angle. And so I'm really focused on all six of those marketing pillars. Got it. Yeah. The, uh, the whole cold call thing is, is really making a comeback and it's the big buzzword right now. Uh, mm -hmm. What's lists or who are you actually cold calling? So I do a, the same list I send direct mail to. So I basically do a property avatar. A lot of people will talk about, you know, the distress list. Well, that's typically the personal, the person. Um, so I go after the property. So like built in 1995 and older, uh, they must've lived in it for seven years um, it needs to have a assessed value of $300,000 or less and, uh, owner or absentee. I don't really care. Um, and what was the last thing? I think that's about it because I just want the property because all those distressed situations that the person's going through, well, they own those properties, right? So for me, there's roughly 300,000 people that every year I send mail to four times and I cold call thousands and thousands of times. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. 
Good. Uh, Joe, your favorite or best resource for off-market deals at the moment? Uh, we're still, you know, we've been, we've actively been involved in pay-per-click for about three years. They've probably done small person on that, like Justin said. Uh, a lot of competition in that. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, margins are getting smaller on that, but they still turn deals over. Um, my primary source of volume of deals is still coming from direct mail. It's a list stacking software that I developed. Uh, we stack a lot of the pain point lists to that, and that narrows it down to a specified, highly targeted uh, list where, you know, my metro area is about 1.3 houses, and it allows me to dial that down into about uh, 4,600 houses that I have to hit continuously. So we cut our marketing costs way back. Last year, I used to do about 50,000, 60,000 mail pieces a month. I don't think I, I barely hit 160,000 mail pieces for the whole year this year. So we're still knocking them down on direct mail. And honestly, that's probably the two best sources that I got other than one off here and there. I'm not, we, we just started cold calling two weeks ago. got a lot of leads off of that, but now we got to convert those. So I don't have enough history to really speak on that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Cool. Thanks. It's funny that you guys both mentioned PPC and, you know, we've, uh, We've tried that for a really long time. We've gone, jumped and hopped from probably three or four different marketing companies to do that for us. And we brought it in-house and we had very much kind of a similar situation as you had, Justin. Like all of a sudden, it started to pop. It'd be interesting yeah. to compare like what's the big difference there? Why does it work for some people and not others? And going for the same exact market. It's, uh, yeah. But it is a science, right? Yeah, I think, you know, just to bring that up, I literally tried four companies over the last two years. Like I said, hundreds of thousands of dollars down the toilet. So in my market, I figured Phoenix was just too tough. But that was my own mindset, right? I just wrong whatever because I found this company now. And literally within the first week, we got our first deal. Within three weeks, we had two deals. And within the five weeks, we have three deals. I couldn't, you know, I'm like a baboon when it comes to it, right? You tell me to go do my own Google AdWords, <laughs> not going to happen. So I don't know, but it is interesting that all these different competitors can be in the same space, but one's going to completely outperform the other. Very interesting. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, based on that, there might, might this might lead into our next question. And Chris, I'll ask you first. What trend are you seeing in your business or your market that has you either excited or concerned, and how is it changing the way you operate? I always am excited, and I am always concerned. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I would say... Right now, it, I always have a concern about where is the market headed. And, I, you know, I think I, I try to mitigate some of that risk just by buying properly from the beginning. You know, I try not to get into deals that are too tight. That way, if the market adjusts a little, a little bit down, I am still kind of in my safety zone. I'm not going to lose my shirt on, on, you know, just working off too tight of a margin. So I'm always aware of that and trying to be conscious of that. The thing I'm excited about right now is I'm actually building ADUs and the state made a law earlier on this year um, to allow every city has to allow you to build these things in the backyard. So basically you're building in some cases a, a, an entire second house on a single family R1 zone property. So I don't think this will last. That's why um, to to add cash flow to my property, uh, I'm I'm building these and actually keeping them as rentals. So that's something that, you know, yeah, more cash flow. So explain that. So every R one 
for a period of time right now in the state of California, you can actually build a second unit? Yes. So each city has their own specific guidelines uh, to, to, you know, you have to follow, follow within certain setbacks. Um, you know, sometimes you can't be uh, a certain percentage of the main house in square feet. Um, sometimes they can be detached. Sometimes they can be attached to the house. Sometimes these can be over top of a garage. For anybody listening, I, I should clarify what ADU is. It's accessory dwelling unit. It's basically like a granny suite, I think is what they used to be called. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, for what for what I can build them for and, and for the additional cash flow it provides for for the cost, it's it's working out well so far. Yeah. So we'll see. I say so. I mean with the the way that rents have gone up, especially in Southern California in the last decade yeah. is that can imagine. Awesome. So you figured out how to cash flow in California. I like it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's it's a lot of extra cash flow because that really doesn't exist in California much. But um, right. it's I have a long term plan for these. It's not like get rich quick overnight. It's it's you know get them to where at least PITI is covered, and down right. the road I've got some nice assets. Of course. Yeah. Right. Super. So, Joe, what trend are you seeing in your business or, or the market right now that has you concerned or excited? Well, just the volume of competition, um, you know, it's increasing so much. We had to start looking at other solutions. Started doing this path about seven months ago. We actually are down at the county now pulling all the data sets, all the, all the, everything from the recorder's offices, liens, judgments. But, you know, we're getting probate foreclosures like six, eight months before it's released to the general public. We've been downloading, we've basically, we've basically been downloading massive amounts of data and having to sift through that and figure out how to funnel it. And so we're able to, you know, again, back to the direct mail piece, we're able to target a lot more niche, specified uh, list, if you will. And so that, that that's one thing that I'm excited about because my marketing cost is going to be next to nothing for those. Mm-hmm. We're able to cut that marketing cost down substantially. You know, we've generated about four or five hundred thousand dollars at this point in revenue off of those, and we're pretty much just testing the water, still trying to develop that system. So I imagine another four or five months, we should have something perfected on that, and it should have some definite phenomenal ROI off of it. But um, now that's one of the things that just kind of sucks is you got so much competition and this isn't just my area. It's everywhere. You know, everybody's got it. I know Justin's got five, five times as much as I do. The same deal in California. Right. So the, the, the volume of people entering the marketplace is scary. The, the fact that the margins are shrinking down all the way across the board, that's always scary. You know, we were used to 40, $50,000 margins and now we're, you know, we're pushing thirties. So it's creeping down slowly. Um, just trying to get ahead of the game. I'm still, you know, I'm a foreclosure guy. I've been for 15 years. I can't wait for that market to blow up again, but I'm still waiting for it too, right? Everybody keeps talking about the market crash, all this uh, shadow inventory still hanging out there. It's still coming, I think. Right. when it does. Interesting. So you were saying, I kind of noticed a a couple things because uh, it seems a lot of people are going back to more of the traditional way that they used to build their real estate investing business and where you're knocking on doors, you're cold calling. You're going down to the courthouse and actually getting dirty and pulling that that uh, information out from the source. And did you say, are you mailing those people? Is that how the cost is coming down? I didn't understand how the, the cost marketing cost is coming down. Yeah, so instead of going a broad a broad spectrum, we're we're downloading all that data and then we're stacking it and then we're marketing it off of that stacked stuff. Okay. So 
for instance, you know, you, you got HOA liens. Obviously, people are going to quit paying their HOA liens and their taxes before they quit paying their mortgage payments, right? So you start seeing these things compile up, and next thing you know, you got four or five pain points that you stack, and it's a much more highly targeted list than just pulling a, you know, a, a, a water shutoff notice or something like that. Right, right. So a lot less mailing volume is what you're saving. Got it. I wasn't clear on that in the beginning. Cool. Justin, what are you noticing? What trend is happening in your business or market? Yeah, I think there's some... I mean, the trend truly in Phoenix is still appreciating and it's nuts. And I think, you know, both Christy and Joe kind of talked about this is like, there's this inevitable bubble. It's happening. It's somewhere I 12 months, 18 months, 24. I don't know. It just can't continue to exist this way. It's just outrageous, which is fine. I'm taking huge advantage of it while it's happening. Um, what I look forward to and kind of like Joe's, he's a foreclosure guy. Well, I want to go build massive wealth. I mean, you're, you're, you know, huge on this mat. And so when that happens in a, in a city like Phoenix, you have the opportunity to go literally pennies on the dollar. Right. Um, so I don't want to say I'm looking forward to a crash. Um, but I'm kind of looking forward to a crash because I know I can still develop leads. So then I just change my exit strategies. Right. So right now I'm very, very, very selective on rehabs, like Uber selective. Um, I will still wholetail, which is, uh, you know, I'll buy it and not rehab it and put it on the MLS. I'll still do that from time to time. I'm primarily only wholesaling, but I'm kind of looking forward to this change because to Joe's point, the players who are real players in the market, the real investors that have been around, they're going to stay around. They'll be there. And a lot of the other quote unquote competition or people that are aiming for the same assets, I don't believe they're going to be able to, to fight the long fight. And I think that's, you know, to my advantage, right? And so some of it is a blessing and a curse. I mean, we're making huge profits. We're doing a bunch of deals every month because of the market. Um, but we could also flip strategies and remove a lot of this competition as the market starts going south. I think it's a blessing and a curse and, and kind of excited for all of it, right? Change to me, I've always done well in change. I've always flourished in change. And so I'm kind of looking forward to something like that. Got it. So... You know, speaking of change, I mean, we're at the end of a cycle. I don't know at the end, but it's certainly a long one. You know, typically it's seven, eight years. I think we're going on a decade. We're starting our 11th year. Um, how big of a change do you think it's going to be? And, and do you have an idea of when you think it might happen? Yeah, I think we'll probably be safe through this year. Um, just there's no real signs for the real estate economy in Phoenix to really take a hit. Now anything can happen, as we saw. Um, I think going into next year, I think there should be some certain things, you know, the um, commercial loans, the car loans, there's just stuff out there floating that are like, when's this whole thing going to pop? Um, so I think into next year, you need to just be a little bit more hesitant on, you know, rehabbing. Cause I've been one of those people that I caught my hand in the cookie drawer. I was rehabbing nine homes at one time. The music goes off, you know, luckily we kind of walked out of that scenario broken even cause we bought so well, but, Nonetheless, um, it'll be an interesting thing to see as, as that starts to shut down and what happens. I don't think the crash like happened back in 2006 and seven. I don't believe it'll go that far. I think Phoenix will stop appreciating and I think it'll adjust to some sort of normalcy, truth be told. Um, and it might take a little bit of hit. You know, if it takes a 15 to 20% hit, I could see that happening. I don't think it's going to be a 50 to 70% hit like we saw back in you know, five oh six oh seven. You know, I think that's. I don't think that's coming. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, uh, Christy. What do you think? What do you have any bold predictions? 
Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, I listened to some economists back in 2012 and 13 when the getting was good, and these guys were saying, oh, the crash is coming soon, and it's going to be twice as bad as it was in 2007. And I was probably way too conservative, but this was my first round in, in the market. I've only been buying in Southern California since 2008. And I didn't know to make my own judgment on that. So I was I was being conservative even back then. And so here we are. We haven't even had a dip yet. And the inventory is so low. And there's still qualified buyers. It's you, st- you have to be able to qualify to get a loan and buy a property these days, not like 2005 where you could just make up your income. Right. And, um, and interest rates are still low and, and jobs are good. So all of these things are just causing us to be kind of stable. We have had a slight dip here. So I'm just kind of keeping an eye on that. But I think the rest of this year, we might just kind of ride along and, and we might see a, a bit more of a dip next year. Um, but nothing major in my right. mind on the horizon. Yeah, I heard uh, Bruce Norris, he said this a while ago and he continues to say it, is this this last decade with the lending guidelines being so strict that the banks have probably written the best book of business for over a decade than they've ever written. So the, yeah. the potential for that, for what caused the crash last time, probably won't happen this time, but it might be something else that does it. There is going to be a dip. There's no doubt about it because there always is every every 10 years or so. So it's just a matter of, of when that's going to take place. Mm-hmm. My prediction, Matt, is I agree with you. I think it's going to be an event. I don't think it's going to be the same scenario where it was just bad underwriting and appraisers bumping values and stuff like that this time. I think it's going to be another life event. You know, it could be Korea sending off a missile, whatever the case is. It's going to be that state. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I hope it's not anything tragic like that. I agree. It's way overpriced everywhere you go. You know, we're seeing stuff that's like, I mean, I'm tired of paying 350 for to pay eight grand for right. I mean, where, where's the good old days? Let's get back to that. I'm looking forward to that price reset because I know it brings, it brings a lot of people leave industry and there's just more inventory for the pickings. You know, in, in good markets we all make money. In downside markets we kill it. Right, right. You know, I heard a really interesting take the other day on on the future, and not just real estate, but the overall economy. And they were sharing that they they were thinking that now that. Trump is president and he's the, the business guy. He's the economy guy uh, that as long as he's in office and it's on his watch, he's going to do everything in his power to prevent any sort of crash or adjustment. He may potentially leverage the entire future of our country on it to make sure it doesn't happen on his watch. But I thought that was really interesting. So you got good two two more years at least to really go out and crush it before you had to be scared. And I was like, yeah, that's an interesting take. I never thought of it. Right. Um, so let's see. Uh, Christy, what's the what system or technology have you implemented in the last twelve months that's had the biggest impact on your business? Uh, getting better at my follow up uh, because I feel that it's nice to meet somebody in person that you think might be able to give you a referral, but it's another thing to have them remember you after the meeting's over. So, just uh, I've, I've actually ramped up my um, social media in terms of just. Facebook postings, LinkedIn postings, Instagram, and, you know, with my specialty being uh, buying boarded houses, it's easy to put lots of interesting pictures on there to have, to kind of keep you at people's top of mind. 
So that's something I've done just in between meeting people in person is connecting with them online and, and several other touches so that they remember you. Super. So multiple touches and you're using social media for that mostly. Yeah. Awesome. Justin, what new system or technology have you implemented in the last year? Yeah, we did. Uh, we started last year into cold calling and it has been an absolute game changer. It was mm-hmm. funny because that's how I got started in the industry. So I was dead broke. So I basically had a cold call. That's how all of us with no money started. <laughs> right. Right. And so I just, I don't know where it came from, but I was like, why aren't we doing this? Because we were doing all this other stuff and blowing so much money on PPC and all this stuff. And so we dove into it late last year in October. So I'm kind of coming up on a year and it has been a flat out game changer. We have 12 guys in the office every day. Uh, we're, you know, any, any day we have anywhere from 25 to a hundred leads come through our door, um, of people that are interested in selling, um, which is very, very hard to do with the other type of strategies. And so the difference being, it's a different tale, meaning the speed of what PPC does, or even the speed of what direct mail does, is not the same speed of cold calling. You have a lot more follow-up, which is what Christy was talking about. But mm-hmm. when you get them, they pop and they pop big. So that's been my biggest value. I'm most excited about right now is what's going on with PPC because they pop quick, they're motivated, and I'm excited about it. So my excitement level is highest with PPC, but cold calling has been an absolute game changer over the year. Interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think the do not call list, like it scared everybody from cold calling. We all kind of forgot about it and everybody's doing it again. Are you paying any mind to the the DNC list? So because I use Mojo, so I scrub it against my own, but then I scrub it in Mojo. Right. And so the hope would be it does its job. Now we absolutely still call people that get pissed and irate. Mm-hmm. The thing that they have to realize is more often than not, they have their home phone number on the DNC, but we got their cell phone number. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not on the DNC, but they think it is, right? So they cause a you know storm about it. But the reality is, hey, bro, you need to put all your phone numbers on the DNC and it won't come up. It won't pass through our you know level. So um I don't worry about it. I mean, those guys are really going after the big dogs that do a lot of robo dialing and, you know, they're dialing 50,000 people a day. That's Mm -hmm. what I believe they're probably more interested in. However, something to be aware of. I'm not, I don't just, you know, brush it off. I'm aware of it. I just don't, I don't think it's going to be too big of an issue. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Those are some hefty funds too at 7,500 bucks a shot. So there's no doubt. I mean, we do. Yeah, it's expensive. We do roughly six to 10,000 calls a day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say 2% of the calls we make are people that come up with, I'm pissed, how could you get a hold of me, yada, yada. It's, it's very, very minute. Mm-hmm. So what, what is your actual approach uh, of taking this call, this cold call? It is very, I keep it simple, right? So if I were to call you, hey, Matt, my name is Justin. Um, I'm actually looking to buy a home in the area. I love your neighborhood. Um, are you interested in selling or thought about receiving a cash offer anytime in the next 12 months? Mm-hmm. So okay. first I would say, Hey, is this Matt? You'd say, yeah, this is Matt. Mm-hmm. That to me is what I call a contact. Cause I'm trying to measure the data. Is the data good? So if I say, is this Matt? You say, yes, this is Matt. Boom. That's a contact. The next words out of your mouth might be F off. That doesn't, that doesn't mean the data is not good. It means the data is good, but you're not willing to sell. Then I want to make sure you're looking to sell or at least open to having a conversation. 
Then I would ask three questions. When are you looking to sell? Why are you looking to sell? How much do you want? At that moment, I get those answers and I give it to my acquisition guys. Because from that point, I want the the Michael Jordans, I like to call them. I want them with the ball because now it's game time. Now it's all on the line. So that's the basics. Are you looking to sell? Yes. When are you looking to sell? Why and how much? Got it. Give it to the acquisition man. Got it. Is that a, um, a straight handoff or is that something that they call back later? It's a podio handoff. Podio but they handoff. have to get – they. so I put requirements on my guys. They get bonus. If they hit the requirements, they get uh, – reduced pay if they don't but they have an hour to get to that person mm-hmm. so they have to get to that person in the first hour right mm-hmm. so i have all these kind of guidelines based around pay and bonusing people um, based around how quickly they can do what they need to get done sweet sweet yeah best way to motivate us to compensate right <laughs> yeah joe what system or technology have you implemented in the last 12 months that's had a big impact on your business maybe you already said it yeah just that list that your software that's really mm-hmm. only- Change until we started implementing the telemarketing, and again, that's too fresh for me to give you any results on that. So, got it. So, a lot of great information. Thanks for being so gracious with with your sharing. Uh, what's the best book you've last read in the last twelve months, and what did you find most valuable about it? I actually think Justin referred this one to me, but it's Never Split the Difference. It was Justin that sent me that one? That was a good book. Never split the difference. Yeah, it's, helped, it's helped me nail out down uh, with my in constant sales training with my guys these guys and trying to get them motivated and keep them going and get them to hold their ground when they, when they, when they smell blood. So let's get the margins, uh, increase for the most part. Right. Christy, best book you read in the last 12 months and what was the biggest impact it had on your business? I've ordered about three and I haven't started reading any of them yet. And I haven't read one for a while. <laughs> it's funny. I've got, I've got never split the difference in my audible account and it's just sitting there. been looking at me for over a year. <laughs> got it. Which three did you pick up? Uh, they're sitting on my dresser. I, I haven't even opened them yet. Super impactful. (laughs) That's great. While we're while we're on the topic of of sales and cold calls, Mm -hmm. I think this might be relevant. Um, There was a Dale Carnegie book, um, and it was the Sales Advantage, I believe it was called, Mm -hmm. and um, that has some really good sales tips in it. So just the way you say things, selling to the person the way they want to hear the information, not the way you want to you know, tell it to them. So that was a, that was a good book. Sales Advantage by Dale Carnegie. Yep. Awesome. Justin, best book you read in the last 12 months and what did you find most valuable about it? Ooh, this is good. So I read a lot. Um, I'm going to go business and then I'll go personal. Sure. One that I've really resonated with recently is Four Disciplines of Execution. I've probably read it three times. Um, great, great book. Uh, I'll give Joe a recommendation. Read Presuasion. Hmm. Pre, it's it's kind of like reading reading radio instructions if you get excited about that kind of stuff. Uh, but man, sales persuasion persuasion by Caldini, awesome awesome book. Yep. Um, and then it can I cuss on here, my guy? Sure. So the book title is Unfuck Yourself. Oh, I have that one in my Audible too. But go ahead, it tell is me about it. Awesome. So the subtle art of not giving a fuck was really <laughs> big for me over the last year. Really big, right? In our space of the info space being a, a personality that you can get a lot of people, you know, we call them trolls, so to speak. So uh-huh. I had to learn how to, un, you know, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. 
Um, but then you also have to learn how to unfuck yourself. So I don't mean to be cussing up on your podcast like this, but these hey, are literally the, the names. What are you going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? Who am I? I can't judge it. Right. So anyways, great books. I gave you four, um, business and, and personal. They're just awesome. That's awesome. So out of one of those F word books, what's something actually practical you took away from it? I think, um, the biggest thing and I keep talking about it is to really, really let go of what people think. It, mm-hmm. It's the number one reason why people get stuck in fear or anxiety or simply don't do mm-hmm. is because they're just so worried about what their family and friends and, you know, the outside world is going to think to the point where they won't post things on social media, even though they want to, they won't bring up an opinion that they feel passionate about because they feel like someone's going to judge them for, or, you know, so, um, it's just been a huge thing for me to get out of my own way is just really don't care. Cause are they going to give you a paycheck? Are their opinions going to cut me a check? Not at all. Right. And especially in that business space. So I need to do what's right for me and my family. That was a huge, huge takeaway that both books really harped on is it is one of the largest reasons people don't do. Yep. Yeah, I say it all the time that your addiction to looking good is keeping you from everything that you want. And people just, they want to look good or they just want to not look bad. And that keeps them away from everything. So super. Thanks, guys. Uh, Joe, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, they can hit me up with my email. Probably the easiest. It's the letter J, then Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at pdxrenovations.com. Jay Taylor at pdxrenovations.com. Super. Justin, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they wanted to? I'm driving everyone to social media now. I'm making this a really big play going into next year. So at the Justin Colby on Instagram um, or at the Justin Colby on Facebook. My personal account already has 5,000 friends. So you have to find my public figure account. Uh, The Justin Colby message me. I will reply and uh, you can go from there. Awesome. At the Justin Colby. I like it. That's right. Christy, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Facebook for me. Just find me on Facebook, my personal page, or you can email me at hoarderholmes at gmail.com. Hoarder Holmes? I like yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a ring to it. Yeah. Super. Well, thanks. And uh, let's do this. Let's stay in touch. Let's do this again. Sound good? Sound okay. good. Perfect. Alrighty, so until next week, God bless to your success. I'm Matt Terrio. Yo. the green. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.